I want to tell you, I have always wanted to preach on New Year's Eve. Because right now, your mind is trying to figure out what your resolutions are going to be for the new year, what you're going to accomplish, and what you're going to go out and do starting tomorrow. And uh, if you put into practice the things that we're going to talk about today, it will absolutely change your life. And it doesn't mean that your life's going to get easier. It may, in fact, get harder. But if you put these things into practice, what it will mean is that at the end of your life, you will be able to look back and you will be able to say that was a life that was well lived. And that's what we're after today. And I want to also tell you this. This is probably 10 sermons in one. And all of the preaching books and all of the professionals should say, would say, I should not do what I'm about to do. But I'm going to do it anyways. Because, you know, well, why not? So... Also, we're going to do Q&A as, as always after the sermon's over. So if you have questions, you can get them into me. There should be a number on the screen. Um, also, I want to try this too. I might interact with some of the questions as I'm walking through the sermon. So if you've got a question, something didn't make sense, or you want me to maybe expand on something, uh, send the text in. Now, I might get so into what I'm saying, I might not look at my phone, so we'll see what happens, okay? Deal? All right, we're going to look today at 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 7, and it says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And today we're going to focus on the part that says, I have fought the good fight. There's something satisfying at the end of your day when you know you have fought well and finished well. And there's something even more satisfying at the end of the year, when you had just a great year, you fought well and you finished that year well. But the question that I have for you is this. Are you doing the things required so that at the end of your life, you can feel and say, I have fought well and I have finished well? That's the question that we're asking today. And I need to clarify something before we even begin. The Christian truth is that Christ has come and he has fought for you already. And he has run the race that you're meant to run. So what Paul is saying here is not that if you don't finish well, your salvation is in jeopardy. What he is saying is that we have been given this beautiful salvation and now we are living further into it by fighting to become who we've been always meant to become. You've been given this new worth in Christ and Paul is saying, fight to live into that worth. And the other thing you need to know is you can't run for you. You need something bigger than you, something greater than you. you need For the love of God and for the love of people is why you run this race. It is not for you. Because if it's for you, you won't have the motive to live a life that is well lived. Or you look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't, don't worry about what's happening out there. This is words from here to you. Don't miss it. The new year starts tomorrow. Let's take it serious. Here we go. So, okay. You can't, you need to find a love that you have for God and others, and you got to fight for that. And that is your motive. And so there's three things that we're going to look at today to help you live well. First, you have to know yourself You have to know the gospel, 
And then third, you have to know the, the disciplines of the faith. And now l- listen to me. When I say the word know, I'm talking about intimate knowledge. Means you know yourself really, really well. You know the truth of the gospel really well. And you, you know the disciplines well because you have been engaging in them. So first, know yourself. So the word heart in the Bible, often you think it means emotions, but it doesn't mean that. The word heart, especially as the Hebrews use it, means the mind, the will, and the emotions. The way you think, the way you act, and the way you feel. And and to change, to believe something, the heart must be engaged with all three of these things, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And if you're going to know yourself, it means you need to know your starting point, meaning every single one of us start with a different one of these, the mind, will, or emotions. So for me, for example, I start with the mind. And I, I will look at a truth and I'll think on the truth until that truth starts bubbling up and gets me excited. And I get some emotions stirred up. And then once that happens, it compels my will to live in a new way. Now, some of you might start with your actions. You might be uh, make it happen type people. You might be like get something done. You just need something to do. And, and what happens here is you begin to act your way into believing something. You act your way into loving something. And you just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the things that God has told me to do. And then it's going to change your mind and it's going to change your emotions. And then some of you are more emotional. And so somebody says something and it stirs up your emotions. And you're not even sure if you believe it or not, but you're excited about it. And so you begin to act like you're believing it. And then your mind catches up. And we can go all different ways. But the, the point is you need to know how you operate. Because often we'll stop at the first or second thing, which means we're not engaging the whole heart. So if I just went from my mind to my emotions and never got to my will or my actions, then I'm not fully living out my faith, which means my heart is not fully engaged. Now, here's something interesting. Different denominations usually have different starting points and focus in on certain areas. So um, Presbyterian, so this is my background, um, Presbyterians are known for their mind, and what they'll do is they'll get in this room and they'll have these endless debates on these deep theological concepts, and they'll stay in this room for way too long. Maybe their whole life is wasted away because they found these beautiful truths but never really felt their beauty and never really went out and lived them out. So that, that might be something that could happen to you. Um, Pentecostal background often starts with the emotions. And the emotions get stirred up. And if the emotions never lead into action or engagement with the mind, then there might be, we might be start chasing this experience with God that might not actually line up with Scripture. Or uh, if you have a Baptist background, Baptists often are known for obedience, following the rules. Somebody told me a joke this, this last week. It said, if you go fishing with a Baptist and you don't want them to drink all of your beer, invite another Baptist, and then neither of them will drink any beer because there's another Baptist there watching them. So you see that there's this uh, starting with our action, but that has to move to our mind and it has to move to our emotions. It has to move everywhere to engage the whole heart. And you need to know how you operate. But not only that, to know yourself. You have to know what your greatest love is. Because whatever you love most, 
that will be the thing that tells you what to think. That will be the thing that oper- that's fueling your emotions, and that will be the thing that tells you how you need to act in this life. And that's why the Bible puts so much emphasis on loving God above all things, because when you love God above all things, it means, so there's a seat that's on your heart, like a control center. And whatever's sitting on the throne of your heart is what's telling you how to think, how to feel, and how to act. And so if God is not there, then something other than God is telling you how to think, feel, and act. And that's not a good thing. But, but if you have God, the creator of all things, here on your, I mean, what else would you rather be there? So you put him there, and you open up scripture, and then you know, okay, this is how I think, this is how I feel, and this is how I ought to act. Now, if you're going to know yourself, you need to know what you are prone to put on the throne of your heart when you're not putting God there. Like, what's the pesky thing that keeps crawling up on that throne that you keep having to knock down? And you know what it could be? It could be a really good thing that you've turned into an ultimate thing. And it's ruling you. And it's taking you down a road that is not good for you. And you, you don't realize it. Or you might be saying, there's nothing on the throne of my heart. I rule. Well... Don't be so naive. Everyone is ruled by something. And if you don't think that you are, you are most blind because then you are being ruled by something and you have no idea it's even happening. We're all controlled by something. And Christianity is saying, in order for you to become your true self, you have to give yourself over to the one who makes you whole. You have to know yourself and see the ways when you're not doing that and then do it. And so, so then the question becomes, well, how do, we, how do we get the, um, how do we stir up our emotions, you could say, so that we might give ourselves over to, the God, because, to God? Because, you know, that's terrifying. Well, second thing is you have to know the gospel. Now, when I say know the gospel, I don't mean you can just recite it. And I don't mean you can look at a track and say, this is what the gospel is. What I mean is that you understand yourself so well that you have seen what your wounds are, you have seen your fears, you have seen your insecurities. And you know the gospel, specifically the way that when you hear this part about the gospel, some part about the gospel, it gives you courage. It gives you healing and it gives you strength. And by the way, if you want to change in, in the next year, starting tomorrow, the answer is not by trying harder at all. It's by believing more and believing the right thing in the right one. It's by loving more, but loving the right love. And it's by depending more, but it's got to be about depending on the right thing. If your actions are a result of what you love and you aren't happy with your actions, The answer is because you are loving the wrong thing, depending on the wrong thing, and looking for strength from the wrong thing. So you got to change your loves. And and you know that feeling? When you keep doing the thing you don't want to do, and then there's the thing that you know you should do, but you keep not doing it? Like, what do you do about that? How do you deal with the temptation that's coming at you? Um, I just finished a book on discipline. It's not a Christian book, but it, it talked about the story. Of, so, so basically, they, they took two groups of people, 
and put them in separate rooms. One group they put in a room and gave them a whole bunch of temptation. I think it was with something like ice cream or it was with a whole bunch of other stuff. There's something. Some kind of temptation is haunting people in this room. And just before they give in to the temptation, they're removed from the room. Now there's this other room and these people aren't given any temptations. And then they took the two groups of people right, right, right after this group was tempted and this group wasn't and they put them together in one room and gave them a temptation. Do you know the people that gave in to the temptation first? The people that were surrounded by ice cream. And what that tells you is that we can only handle so much before we give in. There's a weakness about us. And this is where grace is so important. We need to know the grace of God. But it also means if you want to fight the good fight and end well, it means you have to learn how to stretch out your strength. This is what the Bible calls endurance. It's like a stretching out of your faith. So how do you do that? You have to feed yourself with the truth of the gospel into your mind, into your emotions, although I shouldn't go like that because it's all the same. So into your mind, will, and emotions, all the way in. And so, Okay, so how do you do that? You know, Christianity's funny. It's beautifully funny because it's so simple. It's a truth that once you believe in it, it lifts you up. It strengthens you. And so I got to tell you this other story that I keep coming back to the story because it's so powerful. And this, if you want to come alive, just listen to this. So when I was in seminary, my professor took our class through this exercise, basically that says, what's the best part about the gospel? What's the center of the gospel? And by the way, there's this big debate about what the center of the gospel is. And, and so he says, he took us through these eight promises. Now, now, to understand the gospel, you have to know that Christ has come, died, rose. So that's salvation accomplished, but then that has to be applied to us. So there's all these promises that pour out when we have faith. Don't look outside. There's all of these promises. Oh, now you looked outside. Man, I got to figure this out. <laughs> okay, this is serious. These promises that pour out when you believe. So our professor took us through these eight promises, and he asked which one was the best, and I figured everyone was gonna say the same thing, and I was shocked that people were saying something different. And the person next to me said, adoption is the best part about the gospel, meaning that Christ became an orphan so we could become sons and daughters of God. And the professor said, you think that's better than glorification, meaning we're gonna be in God, with God in paradise, complete ecstasy forever and always. And, and the guy next to me, he said, yes. He stood his ground. And then my professor said to him, can I ask you a personal question? He said, yep. And the professor said, were you adopted? I'm like, oh my gosh, he's right next to me. What's he gonna say? It can't be this easy, right? It was, he was adopted. Now, as soon as he said that, a truth like lightning shot right through me. And I realized that the center of the gospel is not a theological question. It's a question of what is your wound in life? How have you been hurt? What do you fear? 
And what are your insecurities? And what is the part of the gospel that will resonate in the halls of your heart, lift you up, make you come alive, make you want to give yourself over to God, and then in turn finding who you really are? So you, in order to know yourself, you have to know your wounds. And in order to know that the gospel, you've got to know the whole thing and all the parts of it. And once you do that and you marry the, the wounds in you with the solution of the gospel to your wounds, you're changed forever. Absolutely a new person. Now, you've got to know the part that makes your soul sing. So let me just walk you through a few of them. We don't have time to walk through all of them, but let me just give you a few. So this one is known as justification. And this is like for all of you approval junkies who just want love and admiration from people. Like you just want people to think you're amazing. You're constantly winning people over. You know who you are and you guys are looking at each other like, oh yeah, that's you. Um, And some of you are like, no, that's definitely not you. You don't care what anybody thinks of you. Um, So here's what this promise tells you. And by the way, so here's a mistake. If you want admiration from people, the the mistake people make is they turn that desire down. And you should not turn that desire down. You should turn it all the way up. And what you'll do is you'll go right past finding admiration from people and you'll start scratching on the door of heaven. And if you're so bold, you'll even knock on it. And then the door opens and we find this truth, what Martin Luther calls the great exchange, that says this, Christ... The perfect son of God has come down and he has exchanged his perfect and beautiful record and taken, he's given us his record and he's taken our sinful, um, vile record and he said, that's mine and he owns it as his own. And then he goes to the cross, dies holding our sins and he rises from the grave. Okay, so you can think about it now. Okay, what does that mean for you? Well, it means now that when the father looks at you, He looks at you with the same admiration that he has for his one and only firstborn son. And it can't be lost. It's yours. It's secured forever and always, no matter what you do or don't do. It's like you think about this. You're in a courtroom and you're guilty. And the judge is about to read the guilty sentence, which is life. And just before he declares you guilty, this mysterious traveler bursts into the courtroom and he says, it was me. I did it. Now, he didn't do it, but he's the prince. So everyone has to say, okay, if you say you did it, we have to obey this. And so the prince then takes on our, this this courtroom person, our guilty sentence. And then he hands us papers and says, you are now a prince. We've traded places. This is what the great exchanges. And that's the gift that Christ has purchased for you. So if you care a lot about what people think, well, go there and you'll have all of your dreams come true. Then, then let's go back to the young seminarian who just was adopted. You, you know, what he wanted is he, he didn't want people to keep passing him over. He wanted someone to pick him, to choose him. He wanted to have someone who would just hug him. And tell him everything's going to be okay. And the promise of Christianity, again, is that Christ became an orphan so we could become sons and daughters of God. And you know what orphans will do after they've been adopted? They will often hide food underneath their bed. And they they hide it there because they're not really sure that everything's going to be okay. Now, what I want you to know is that you're doing the same same exact thing with God. You don't realize it, but you're doing it. You're hiding 
You're, you're hiding your sins from him. You're putting them under your bed. One, as if he doesn't know that they're there, but you, you know what he wants as your father? He wants you to take them to him so he can help you deal with them. But you don't think he's gonna respond like a father, and so you hide them. You can stop. You can just be known and loved and enjoy that. Here's one more. A new purpose. This the, Christianity has offered you something so amazing in that you are now a citizen of heaven living on the earth. But do you know what you can do as a citizen of heaven living on the earth? You can begin to build eternity here and now. And that means you are doing things here and now that will echo on into eternity forever. Forever and always. It will last. Forever. That should flood purpose into your life. You know, the way to do that is start with loving people. And you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. Well, just start loving people. I don't normally comment on Facebook, but um, somebody posted something and they were like, I just want to know what God wants from me. Like trying to figure out what to do with their life. So I just want to know what God wants from me. And, and I just commented, he wants you. Now, you're never going to live into your purpose unless you know that's true. Unless you understand that you are his prize and he is your prize. Because if you don't believe that's true, you're going to be going off and looking for another prize. And, and I have a feeling what this person was really saying is, I have this other prize that I love more than God, but God is a tool for me to get what I want. And so God, tell me what to do with my life so I could get this thing that will make me happy. But when you realize that God is the prize, then you begin to know what to do with your life. So if you're at this crossroads, you're like, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, just start by loving God. And it will become clearer as you take your steps. Now, you got to figure out which promise resonates most with you. And we didn't cover all of them. We had a series of the gospel that lasted like 20-something weeks. You can go back and listen to that and hear all of them. And if you're not convinced that Christianity is true, I want you to know something. You can't fully reason your way in. Now, reason and faith are intricately woven together. But what I mean by that is, the thing that's going to make you all of a sudden say, I'm all in with this, is going to be you see how it heals you. You see how it makes you brave. You see how it makes you strong. And that's going to be what makes you say, I'm all in. And you probably got to go through a little bit of suffering to get there, by the way. Now, if you're a Christian and you haven't felt joy in a long time, well, I'll tell you why that is. It's because you likely have a new wound, a new fear, a new insecurity, and you have not yet discovered the part of the gospel that heals you, that strengthens you, that makes you brave. And you've got to go on a quest to go discover it. Not just to know it in your mind, but to experience it fully in your heart. And then you'll live different. Or, if you haven't had joy for a long time, it might be because you're a lazy Christian. It might be because you are not engaging in the disciplines of faith that bring you face to face with God. This is our third point, the disciplines of faith. 
So what Christian disciplines will do is they are meant to, it's not just like go and do this because you should do this. It's go and do this because it's getting you somewhere and it's getting you face to face with God. So, okay, look, you guys are like, oh, the disciplines, I don't want to hear about this. This is what you need to hear if you don't want to hear it. I'm going to tell you that right now. So the disciplines are bringing you face to face with God and you're saying, okay, I'm finally beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and then you are transformed. So let's walk through some of the disciplines. And the first discipline I'm going to give you is one that you don't typically hear about in the spiritual discipline books. And the discipline is joy. Pursuing joy. Uh, I just recently this year read three biographies on heroes of the Christian faith. And it was on their approach to the Christian life. And all three of them said the heights of the Christian life is the pursuit of joy. Pursue it. Don't fall for the lie that God won't give you the ultimate joy. Don't fall for the lie that God is not worth pursuing above all things in your life. Pursue joy and it will lead you to God. And start pursuing joy everywhere in everything that you're doing. Um, Don't say, I'm going to work hard anymore. Say, I'm going to enjoy my work. And if you will enjoy your work, you're going to find yourself working hard on accident. Let me tell you what love is. The completion of love is joy. So when you think, am I loving my spouse, you have to ask this question, am I enjoying my spouse? When you think about your kids, am I loving my kids? Well, are you enjoying them? Are you enjoying your work? Are you enjoying your schooling? Are you enjoying whatever it is that you're doing, your career, all of it? Just start pursuing joy. And the way to do that is to first be thankful because thankfulness precedes joy. So if you can't be thankful, you'll never find joy. If you can't be thankful for what Jesus Christ has come and done for you, you're never gonna have joy in God. You have to learn to be thankful. And then when you say, okay, I'm going to pursue God as my great joy, you know where it drives you? Right into the word and right into prayer. This is the second discipline or the second practice. It's to open up your Bible. And I'm going to say you probably need at least 30 minutes a day in the word and prayer, 15 for each. Um, And all of a sudden right now you're making all the excuses of why you can't do that. And I get it. If you're a mom, well, your kids are crazy. And they demand a lot from you, especially if they're under 10. And if your kids are under 10, you probably are the most stretched you've ever been, and you probably have the least amount you will ever have in your entire life, and your kids are probably demanding the most from you that they will ever demand. You are completely stretched, and you're saying, how do I have time for God? And then if you're working on top of that, and then if you're a father, you come home and, um, well, your wife is tired and she's just like, you got to take the kids. And you say, okay, I need to be a good father. Let me do this. And then you got to take your kids to the extracurricular activities. And then you got to help them with their homework. And then you got to do all this other stuff. And you have no time. And you're saying, well, or you've got, you're in school. And you say, well, how in the world will I have any time to spend with God? Um, my argument would be, you don't have the time to not spend with him. 
all of this is just about priorities. This is about saying, this is what's most important and it's become a non-negotiable for me, which means you can't do everything. All you can do is what you've made a priority of. And so if you say the Bible and reading it and praying to God is a priority, well, then you'll do it. And if you don't say it's a priority, then you won't because everything is demanding all of your attention all of the time. If God, who operates outside of time, created time, and then made himself subject to time, then surely you have time to spend with God. It's somewhere. He created it. Be with him. And then pray. Be in his word and then pray and leave space to discover God. The, the third discipline is Christian community. Be in Christian community. One of the greatest resources that is often neglected is the people here in this room. We have this idea that the Christian life is us going off on our own, climbing some mountain, getting up to the top of it, and having this grand experience of God because we work so hard to get up there. And the truth of the matter is, often we experience God in the valley when we have a community of people who keep telling us to go to the grace of God, depend on God, and there in the valley with our friends, God comes down and meets us and then carries us up to the mountain because we can't get up on our own. You can find this in a discipleship group. If you want to be in one, come and talk to me. I'd love to get you in one. The third discipline, fourth discipline is the Sabbath. This is creating space to experience God. Now, I want to tell you something. Seeking God is exhausting because you've got sin in your life and you're trying to figure out how to get yourself to go to the God who is perfectly holy, perfectly just, and sinless, and he's gonna look at you and you're like, how in the world am I gonna motivate myself? I'm gonna feel so insecure, I'm gonna feel so vulnerable and full of shame if I go to God. So you gotta, what do you, what do you gotta do? You gotta keep preaching to yourself, God is gracious, God is gracious, he will love me, he's compassionate, and this is exhausting. If you do not create time in the week for you to physically rest, you will never enter into the spiritual exercise, meaning you need a day off. Some of you might need a week off. Some of you might need a year off. If you are too physically exhausted, you won't enter into the spiritual exercise. But once you do, what you're going to find is that you have a God of rest who's meeting you there. Fifth practice is fasting. Fasting has become popular for its health benefits recently. Um, it's also spiritually healthy for you because what fasting does is it makes you weak on purpose so you'll learn how to depend on God. It's a voluntary weakness so that in doing it, you learn the practice of depending on God. The last practice is mission which means to bring heaven to earth. This is a task too big for you, which means you need a big God to come and help you. And just by being obedient and saying, I'm gonna do what God has asked me to do. I'm gonna try to love the people who are unlovable. I'm gonna even love my enemies. I'm gonna be gracious to people who have done wrong to me. When you do that and you've got a big God, then he comes and meets you and then you are with him and experiencing him and transformed by him. All of these disciplines, all they're trying to do is get you face to face with God. 
Because we're so stubborn, we're so rebellious that we need these disciplines that like bring us to this place where we're like, finally, here you are, God. Someone's laughing out there. That's not funny. It is kind of funny, actually. We are rebellious and we can kind of laugh about it because we have a good God who's gracious. All right, I'm getting distracted. Um, All of these disciplines are meant to bring you to the one who left heaven to come and fight the good fight for you. He ran for you. And he went up to the cross and he finished and he said, it is finished. He ran the race. And then he was swallowed up by death and hell and all of the dust and dirt of all of our sin and all of our shame are piled down upon him. And then he broke through it all and rose. Because he came and fought for you, because he ran for you, because he died for you, because he rose for you, because he finished the race of the resurrection, ascending into the throne, because he did all of that, we run for him. Everything we do is for him, not for you. And if you do it for you, you won't do it because you're going to want to do other things. So you do it for him and you run for him because he's the one who came to run for you. You fight the good fight. You finish the race. You keep the faith. Let's pray. Father, we are looking for all the reasons why not to do what you've told us to. And the thing we need is for you to win us over by your grace, by your beauty, by your love. So we might finally have the veil pulled back and we might see it's you. You're the one we want. You're the one we're chasing. Help us to see that, God. Help us to know that. In our pursuit to find someone to love us, we're really pursuing you. In our pursuit to accomplish more, we're really looking for you to say, well done. And you've given us all of this. Help us enjoy it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at The Grove Church Official and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.